You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1108 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Tuesday evening, and today's episode of the Lockdown Hawks Podcast is brought to you by McDonald's, probably serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty and affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. Today's podcast will be a mailbag as we go between games here. The Hawks have another busy week. They play, of course, on Monday after playing on Saturday, and then I have a back-to-back Wednesday and Thursday, another late game on Saturday. So the season is in full swing, but on this in-between night, I thought it was a good time to open up the mailbag a little bit. And uh, also, I'm quite busy on other fronts covering the Braves and other things, but I was able to piece this one together, and hopefully you guys will enjoy the show today. But first, a look ahead briefly to the game on Wednesday. The Brooklyn Nets, of course, host the Hawks. In a showdown of sorts, neither team has been playing at its absolute best in the early going. Brooklyn is without is without Kyrie Irving, of course. Uh, that's obviously been a headline-grabbing item for all of the NBA world, honestly, at this point. But they've settled in a little bit. James Harden had a slow start to the season by his standards, to put it mildly. But he's now seemingly playing better, and Kevin Durant is still one of the best players in the entire world. The offense for the Nets has usually been dominant. Last year, they were number one in the league in offense. This year, like middle of the pack so far for Brooklyn. I still think that they're going to be better than that um, by, you know, by tomorrow even, potentially. But defensively, they've been pretty frisky. They're playing a little bit bigger this year. They have actually old friend Paul Millsap is now in the mix for Brooklyn, along with some other guys that they acquired in the offseason. Nick Claxton actually is a key piece for them, but he's actually going to be missing this game alongside Kyrie Irving on the injury report. But they can be a little bit bigger. They have shooting with Joe Harris. They have backcourt play with Patty Mills. They have unique players like Bruce Brown. So it's an interesting team. It's a obviously a challenge. They were picked widely to be one of the top two teams in the East this season alongside Milwaukee as the reigning champion. So a nice little test for the Hawks on Wednesday. Injury-wise, the Hawks will be without Onyeka Kongwu, of course. But the big surprise of sorts on Tuesday evening when they revealed the injury report was that John Collins was listed as questionable with a left foot strain. That's all I know right now. So anything that else that I would say would be a total guess on Collins' status. At the same time, it's not great to have a lower body injury for a player like Collins and to have him be questionable. He may play, obviously. Questionable is questionable, but uh, we'll see how that sort of affects him. Uh, we'll see what Nate McMillan has to say about that before the game in terms of severity. We'll see what John has to say as well. But right now, we're kind of all flying blind. He's questionable for this game, and that'd be a huge loss if he's unable to play because Collins has been playing fantastically, which we'll talk about later on in this podcast. Um, elsewhere on the injury report, just to round things out, Trey Young is actually probable with right knee soreness, and Bogdanovich is probable with lower back soreness. Probable, I just assume guys will, will likely play because of the probable distinction, but if either one of those guys were to not play as well, that would be a huge loss for the Hawks. And Kevin Herter is not on the injury report. I expect him to play in return. Nate McMillan told Kevin Chouinard again today the same thing that he said last night, that it was just rest-related with, uh, with, with Herter's absence on Monday. So I expect him to play, and there you go on that. Last thing on this, Bet Online, our friends over there do not have a lineup at this time of the recording on Tuesday evening. That likely comes from Collins being questionable. That would be a big swing for the Hawks, you know, a point or two, probably either direction. If he were to not play, that's a massive absence for Atlanta, particularly with the way that he's been playing recently. And then, you know, 538, I, I will say, does a projection pregame. They actually have the Hawks as a three point underdog. I saw another one, I think it was Sportsline, had the Hawks as like a seven or eight point underdog. I think Brooklyn will be favored in the game, provided there's no surprise injuries for the Nets. If Collins does not play, it will be even larger. But even if Collins is in there, I expect the Hawks to be underdogs. 
for the second time this season. The first time that we're underdogs was actually on Saturday in Philadelphia. So we'll talk about that stuff after the game as well, but that's sort of a, a brief look ahead to that. And again, as a reminder, the Hawks then turn around, come back to Atlanta, and play it back-to-back against Utah. And Utah is rolling. They've probably been the best team in the league so far this year after being the best team in the regular season last year. That's a tough test. Uh, even at home where the Hawks have been playing well, that's going to be a challenge on Thursday. We'll, we'll cover that when the time comes. All right, before we get into the mailbag and some news items, actually, a word from our sponsors. This episode of the Locked on Hawks podcast is brought to you by McDonald's, and McDonald's has been proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than a place to just get tasty and affordable food. It is much more than that, in fact. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect. It's a place where classmates can come meet for a study group, knowing that they can depend on the Wi-Fi and the endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. It's a place where teams and competitors and home teams and away teams rivals and anybody in between come to recharge and it's a place where you can look forward to stopping on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel mcdonald's has been great for me for a very very long time i'm a fan of all kinds of things on the menu and a sneaky thing for a sports writer slash podcaster like myself is that the dependable wi-fi is a huge huge bonus i can sit there i can eat great food and also work at the same time and i'm always on the go so mcdonald's being all over the place and very convenient and very tasty is a home run for me with all that said, you can head to the local McDonald's right now to refuel and connect. And honestly, it might even be a great spot for a Locked On Hawks watch party. Check out McDonald's today. I'm loving it. Okay, before we dive into the podcast mailbag, as we do on a semi-regular basis on this show, a couple news items to hit on at the top here of this segment. Lou Williams told Taylor Rooks of Bleacher Report that he will probably be his last season in the NBA this year, an interview that he did in the last couple of days. It made the national news rounds and was notable because of that. You know, anytime a player almost doesn't announce retirement, but certainly hints at it, it's going to get some national attention. Lou's been a prominent guy for a long time, local product, etc. He didn't totally close the door on playing beyond this year, but he is 35 years old, not quite the same guy that he used to be in a smaller role with Atlanta. Free agency wasn't this huge um, bidding war for him either, so he's obviously getting close to the end. But the big thing, in terms of why this is not a surprise to me, is that Lou pretty openly hinted at considering retirement in the middle of last season when he was traded from Los Angeles to Atlanta. Admitted that on the record, talked about it pretty openly when he reported to the Hawks. So none of that's a surprise. If you asked me before the season whether this would be Lou's last campaign, I would have probably said yes, at least guessed yes. And uh, nothing really earth-shattering as a result of that. But he'll be a part of the uh, mix this year for the Hawks, and, and then we'll see after that. But we just wanted to pass that along because it kind of got some national attention. And then also, the Hawks and Nike revealed the City Edition uniforms for the Hawks on Monday. Uh, podcasting is a not a visual medium by any means, so I will just say that I like these, um, the color scheme, etc. I'm not an expert on this. This is not my wheelhouse by any means, but... There was a quote in uh, in there in the release from a Nike executive named Aaron Kane, which referred to uh, these uniforms, quote, paying tribute to one of the NBA's highest flying teams, end quote. And that quote also said that the team is on the rise and also that the uniforms, quote, honor a Hawks legacy of flamboyant style, epic duels, spectacular dunks, and infinite highlight reels dating back to the team's first season, end quote. So pretty upbeat stuff there. Nice hype video from the Hawks releasing this. And my only thought, again, personally, is that I kind of like these and I'll leave it there for now. But the Hawks did, um, the Hawks will wear these 12 times, they said, beginning with the first time on, on Thursday at home against Utah. They will wear them twice in December, five times in January, including MLK Day in a showcase spot against the Milwaukee Bucks. And then once in February, once in March and twice in April. So if you want to see these up close or you want to get, maybe I'm sure they're going to be selling these like hotcakes, uh, check those out. They're now widely available and I do like those on a personal basis. Okay, before we dive into the mailbag here, 
I want to thank everyone for submitting mailbag questions. And honestly, I haven't put out a huge mailbag call in a while. I haven't had to, which is a credit to all of you listening to the podcast. There are different ways to get mailbag questions on my radar. Um, first is Twitter. You can send them to me you know, unprompted if you'd like to at BT Roland on Twitter, which is my personal page, as well as the Lothan Hawks Twitter account for the show. And then also, if you have a longer form question, you can submit it to uh, LoftonHawks at gmail.com. Um, I often get some questions there, some back and forth stuff, and uh, it gives you a little bit more latitude in terms of not having to worry about character count to, add, to ask some more um, intricate questions. So that's definitely open. I try to check that whenever I, whenever I possibly can, but if I don't get back to you, hopefully I will uh, be able to use it on the show or some other form. And thank you for always um, having the interest to send questions in to the podcast. Okay, the first question today comes from Roger who says, it seems to me that most players haven't been as good as expected for the Hawks this season. Are you also seeing that? So, um, to answer this, I thought it would be good to kind of go player by player really quickly when compared to their normal baseline. I want to, I want to emphasize this. So, so if, I play, if I say a player has been below average, I'm comparing them to their normal baseline. So, for, for example, Trey Young is first on this list. When I say Trey Young might be, you know, maybe at the baseline or maybe a little bit below it for himself, he's still been quite good. Trey Young is very, very good at basketball, but he's established a sky-high baseline. You have to evaluate him on what you expect from him and not what a normal player would be. So, all that said, we'll start with Trey. I think I'd probably lean to something below his baseline. Not a ton, though. He's pretty close to it. Um, efficiency is probably the biggest reason. He's a 53% true shooting so far this year, which is not terrible, but not where you expect him to be. The passing's been there for sure. The numbers are the numbers are still there. He's been very, very, very effective. The offense is still good when he plays, but I think I would probably lean toward slightly below, maybe right at the baseline for Trey. Um, John Collins, I think, is definitely above the baseline, which might sound crazy for a guy after averaging 50 points a game, but rebounding's back for Collins to a level that he was at a couple years ago. Um, 66% true shooting is just ridiculous. He's already been great on that for multiple years now, but that's even better than usual. Defensively, he's playing well. And really, the playmaking is where he's made strides. The highest assist rate of his career right now for John. He had a career high in assists on Monday with six. I think he's been uh, taking steps forward there and still playing defense. He's very, very well-rounded, just, just playing great, honestly, early in the season. And I don't really care about the numbers too, too much, but I think if you just the eye test and the way that he's impacting the game in every facet, I think John has been above his baseline so far. Uh, Clint Capella, I would say, has been below his normal baseline to this point. Efficiency's down, rebounding's down, defensive impact is down a little bit from last year. Still been pretty effective overall, but at this level of play, um, they need him to run into form a little bit. Last year, he had kind of a slow start as well, around into form. Uh, that probably will happen this year too, but he's not quite been his dominant defensive self so far. Uh, Bogdanovich, I would say maybe slightly below where you would think, just because of the usage standpoint. He was good on Monday, seems to be getting back into playing shape after sort of a weird offseason for him. Uh, he's been very efficient, though, so making his threes, playing decent defense, I think probably he's about where I expect, maybe a little bit below based on, on, on the uh, downturn in usage. Kevin Herter has been very much below his baseline. Um, I'm not worried. It's six, seven games. I'm not terribly worried about that, but um, the numbers are really ugly for him. 34% true shooting for, for Kevin this, this year in seven games. That's uh, very, very bad, obviously. Playing less than he was a year ago and genuinely struggling at this point. Um, he has established, though, in the last couple of seasons, a baseline to at least be a rotation-quality player. So I think that's kind of the floor for Herter long-term and even in the short term. But right now, he's not playing very well, and that's worth pointing out. Uh, uh, DeAndre Hunter, also I would say is bleeding below average overall, but particularly offensively. I think his efficiency has been pretty much underwater at this point. Now, defensively, he has had some great flashes, You know, particularly against Luka in the opener. He was awesome defensively in that game. He's had some really nice defensive games overall on the ball. But offensively, lagging behind right now where you expect and not making a huge impact on the glass or as a playmaker offensively just yet. And then the last guy that we'll have a full breakdown on here quickly 
is Cam Reddish. I think you have to say that he's been above the average so far for him. Uh, 16 points a game, 59% true shoot. That's a huge win for him. He's been he's been more under control the last couple games. I was a little bit worried about his shot selection early in the season, but it's been definitely more under wraps the last couple games to still some pretty good proficiency overall. Defensively making some plays. I think defensively he's maybe been a little bit below what I expect so far, but still a positive on that in the floor. The only real knock on Cam so far is 14 turnovers and 7 assists. That's going to have to correct itself in a positive way for a guy who's playing with the ball in his hands a decent amount. But other than that, I think Cam has definitely been better than I expected to this point in time. Um, the other guys, you know, Gorgie Jang, DeLon Wright, Lou Williams, they're all just kind of solid backup types. Not uh, not a huge sample size. You know, Gallinari's not played enough to really have an opinion so far. He's still a productive player on offense. But I think so overall, you could argue that only Collins and Reddish have been above what you would expect from them. And even then, Collins' projections already sky high. Whereas a few guys like Hunter, Herter, or Capella are definitely below average so far for them. So I think overall, to answer the question, you would expect the individual guys on this roster to play better than they have so far on the whole. If you, if you combine them all, you would say that more guys are underwater than above water at this point. And because of that, you know, the Hawks are still 4-3. and three. That's a pretty decent sign, I would say, when a lot of your guys are not quite finding themselves on the on the baseline. The counterpoint would be that they've been fairly healthy so far, knock on wood. You know, Kong was still not playing, but other than Gallinari missing a couple games, that all the, all the core guys have been in place. So you'll probably have an injury at some point along the way. It's just kind of the math of it. But I think in general, you could be encouraged by the individual projections when compared to what they've done so far because they are already 4-3 and three on the season as I record this. Okay, before we get to the rest of the mailbag questions, a couple of our uh, sponsors on the podcast will weigh in now, and the first of which is Built Bar. I love Thanksgiving, all the good food and treats and plenty of them, but maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. And with that said, it's the perfect time for Built Bar. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. This is something that's totally delicious. I feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories. That might even be on the low end. But most Built Bars have only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut built bar. Go for a raspberry built bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie, and they're low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein, and covered in 100% chocolate. Built bar is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a built bar or two. Share some of your family gatherings. It'll make even things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a built bar yet. We'll have new surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at built.com regularly, so check out the site often. There's nothing like a built bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. And for now, you can go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15, 15% off in your next order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCK15, 50% off at Built.com. BetOnline is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and much more in terms of props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the basketball football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. For basketball, football, baseball, postseason stuff, NHL, boxing, UFC, tennis, golf, favorite casino games, and much, much more. Do not wait to take advantage of any of the amazing offers available to you this season because everything that you could want and much, much more is at betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we'll close up shop with two or three more questions. And thank you, as always, again, for all the questions at this point. And the first one that we'll talk about now is from O, who asks, what do you think about Troy Young's potential to win the MVP award? I think you might have talked about it once, but I'd love a deeper discussion on it. As of Tuesday... Bet online, our friends over there have Trey at 25 to 1 to win the MVP award. I said preseason, I think pretty briefly on the podcast, that I thought Trey was undervalued as an MVP candidate. I still feel that way. Um, it seemed like a lot of people nationally had like a seven, eight player list of likely candidates that Trey wasn't, wasn't really on. Um, 
I kind of get that on some level. I, I do think that Trey kind of has an underrated path to the MVP consideration anyway. Um, for one, he can put up the numbers that you need. You know, most MVPs have to have dominant counting stats, points, assists, maybe rebounds, etc. Um, there's a scenario where Trey could average like 27 a game with 10 assists, and that definitely is enough um, stat-wise, especially if he leads the league in assists. That might, that might get even more attention. Um, the scoring has to be there as well, and it definitely has been for Trey in recent years. Efficiency-wise, it has to be pretty solid as well. But to be honest, I think almost the bigger thing for Trey would be the Hawks have to win a ton of games. Um, he's not because he's not in that preseason discussion. The narrative has to kind of get you know move your way. That's kind of the way things things work. You know whether that's good or not is a different discussion. But usually you have to have kind of a narrative case. And if the Hawks were to have to be up the number one seed in the East, you could definitely make the case for Trey as clearly the best player on the team. If they won 55 games, were the two seed, something like that, and there wasn't a great candidate elsewhere, there's a path for it. But you know Trey would have to be awesome. And the team has to be awesome. It's, you know, it's, there are some guys where they might have a chance to win MVP on a three seed, four seed. I think Trey would have to probably be on a 55 win team that's probably you know top one or two seed in the East to have a real case. But I think it's possible. So I think it's uh, you know 25 to one is decent value on that front. I don't think he's a favorite by any means, but I think he is definitely a dark horse contender if you were trying to find one at this point in time. Um, next question comes from Carl, who says it's actually a two-part question. Um, he says, is there any trade value with the OKC pick? And is it too early to think this team needs a trade? It's been a disappointing start. That's, that was Carl's um, question. Thank you, Carl, for the question. Um, it's been a while since I've talked about this, but part of the reason for that is that it's now clear where that pick is going at this uh, at this stage. If you are not familiar with this, the Hawks actually own a protected 2022 first-round pick in the Dennis Schroeder trade from the, from the Thunder back in 2018. But that pick only conveys if the Thunder make the playoffs this season. And to put it very candidly, they have no chance of actually doing that. The Thunder are terrible right now. They're the worst team in the league in my mind. At the very least, they're definitely a bottom three or four team in the league. And with that said, we now know what that pick is going to be. It's not going to be a first-round pick. Um, Once that does not happen, it becomes two second-round picks, just for clarity's sake, in 2024 and 2025. So it still has some value, especially because OKC could still be bad at that point in time. It's obviously a little bit less certain two, three years down the road, but it's still a chance that those are pretty decent picks, like top 40 picks. Still, the trade value now is that you know no team is going to be banking on that, even even potentially being a first-round pick. Everyone knows now that's going to turn into two second-round picks. So basically, the value is now evened out on what you would think there. Overall, the Hawks actually have some second-rounders in the future that are a little bit extra, but this is the only quote-unquote first-round pick that's coming in or going out for Atlanta right now. So basically, the Hawks are net neutral on picks, nothing uh, you know huge coming in or out. After years of having those future-facing picks, they don't really have that anymore. They're in that window of contention at this point in time. It wouldn't stun me if they tried to trade it, but you know everyone is going to be aware on all sides of what it's going to actually be like. Um, the last part of the question about saying that the Hawks needed a trade I think it's too early for that. It's seven games at this point in time as I record this. The consolidation trade stuff will always be out there. It does make sense. The Hawks could potentially get a second star quality player if that guy becomes available. Right now, that guy's not available, at least for what I would want for the Hawks. And, you know, the Hawks are still good and deep and talented and they don't really have to make a trade right now. So I get it. If, this, if that stuff pops up, if they struggle for a while, then maybe we'll talk trade more. But for now, I'll focus on, on the court. And I think it's uh, too early to think we need to make an NCAA move at this point in time. And the last one on today's podcast comes from Alan, who says, I thought your points about where the Hawks are shooting from on the court were really eye-opening, but are you actually worried about it? Is it just early stuff, or is this actually a concern? So if anybody missed this over the weekend, I kind of went crazy on Saturday about how bad the Hawks' shot profile was when they took 50-plus attempts 
um, from non-rim two-point range, which is basically you know that mid-range, short mid-range, long mid-range, etc. It was better on Monday. If you listen to that podcast, I sort of harped on that. The shot profile was better in that game. But getting the free throw line helped a lot on there. There's still some concerning signs. I'll just tell you the, the sort of the picture of all of the stats right now about their shot profile. Um, they're actually taking the second most percentage of their shots from mid-range in the entire NBA, about 39.2% of those shots. That's too many. Um, they're also taking the most shots in the NBA from long mid-range, which is that 14 to 22 feet range. Those are probably the worst shots you can take unless you're wide open, and that definitely matters. We'll get into that later on. Um, they're eighth in percentage of shots from the short mid-range, which is basically that floater range. You know, Trey takes a lot of shots from there. So does Collins. So not exactly the worst thing there, but still wanted to point that out. And they're 22nd in shots at the rim this year. That isn't too much of a surprise. You know, the Hawks don't really have a ton of like, downhill driving perimeter players. You know, Trey does that for sure. And they do have finishers in Collins and Capella. But without that second guy to really put pressure on the rim, um, they're not going to be a huge rim team. You know, maybe Hunter takes that step at some point in time. But Bogdanovich, Herder, even Reddish are not, like, getting all the way to the rim right now. Reddish does it a little bit better, actually, than he has recently. That's actually been a nice step forward for Cam. But guys like Herder and Bogdanovich are more perimeter players. Same thing with Lou Williams. DeLon Wright can kind of also kind of do it, but he obviously is in a pretty small role. So no surprise there. Also, an underrated one for me is that the Hawks are dead last right now in quarter three-point percentage. And that's, that's of attempts. They're only taking 7% of their shots from corner three. And corner threes are awesome shots. You want those. Um, and they're 29% of the shots from three overall at 30% of their attempts. So they're dead last in location, effective field goal percentage. So what that means is basically it's cleaning the glass, simulates league average shooting from each of the areas on the floor, and then determines what that would be like with this with their current shot profile. So basically you're not rewarded in this metric for taking shots that are less um, friendly percentage-wise. And the Hawks essentially, again, have the worst shot profile by this one metric in the entire league right now. It's seven games, and it's also not completely unimpeachable because definitely um, this can vary. You know, different teams have different strengths. The Hawks do have guys who can shoot mid-range shots, for one. Um, it's not an, it's not this huge indicator that you have to change everything because of this, but it's not a good sign, at the very least, to be de- to be dead last in this, in this particular metric because it's not exactly the most uh, friendly math um, approach. Now, McMillan did say some encouraging things, I thought, after the game on Monday, talking about the shot profile issues, sort of um, attributed those to settling. Trey Young did not agree about the thing about settling, but he did say, um, in addition, by the way, to saying that analytics are kind of BS, which I didn't love, <laughs> I gotta say. Um, but Trey did say that he was in favor of taking more shots at the rim and from three, and kind of understanding why that's a good idea. And that's kind of the bare minimum, but certainly an encouraging statement. And it's too early to be, like, super-duper concerned. The point of the intrigue, in a lot of ways, is that McMillan has not always had the most analytically friendly approach in previous stops. They didn't take a lot of threes in, in, in Indiana. The counterpoint there would be the Indiana Pacers in that, at that point in time didn't have the greatest shooters either. So definitely there's always some gray area here, some room for nuance and context. But in the playoffs, they, t- they took a lot of mid-rangers. Um, the playoffs are a little bit more difficult to get good shots. So having more, having more mid-rangers in the playoffs is not exactly a huge surprise. And again, and to be very, very clear here, mid-range attempts are sometimes not bad. Um, occasionally, they're, they're the best shots that you can get. And the Hawks have a bunch of guys, Trey Young, Gallinari, Bogdanovich, Herter, even Collins, who are, I think, proven to be good enough at those to where they don't really hurt you all that much. But And that's if they're open, and that's if you don't need to do them. Um, the problem is like taking those like 21-footers, um, contested, step-back step back long twos, um, too many shots in the, in the floater range, etc., I'd love to see guys like Bogey and Young and Herter taking threes rather than long twos. And the same thing and even applied to like DeAndre Hunter, which I think Hunter has always been like, you know, praised for his ability to get in the mid-range and score. And when it looks good, it looks good. But I think Hunter 
can probably take a few less mid-rangers and a little bit more threes and more rim attempts. Same with Reddish, same with Herter, etc. So it's not like a one-person issue. It's not, a, it's not a coaching issue right now. But I think that through seven games, one of the reasons why they've not been great offensively by their standards is that the shot, quali- the shot quality has not been incredible. So overall, to answer the question, am I worried? Uh, not really. I think maybe a little bit just because of the fact that you know this is a new regime that we've not seen, and Nate Nate's history is not the best in this particular aspect. He's really good at a lot of things, particularly defensively. He has a great track record there. Motivational stuff has been very good. This seem he seems to have control of the locker room in a big way. But if there's one thing that I was worried about when Nate took over, and even before that, with Nate potentially taking over, it was it was kind of this. It was kind of what he would do with the offense. And you know they they have Trey. Uh, Trey does a lot of things well, and I think we've kind of proven at this point in time through numbers and just watching this team that whenever Trey's on the court, particularly with Collins and with Capella, even. But Trey, kind of only by himself, they're going to be good on offense. It's just kind of nuanced now to be best, the best they can be. And for the most part, that means taking a few less shots in the mid-range, a few more at the rim, a few more threes, and a few more free throws. So uh, it's still a small sample size, but you know, I thought Saturday was particularly egregious, which is why I kind of went on that rant. And I think it almost spawned a new cycle. There's been lots of questions about this to Nate. Um, and clearly, clearly it was the case like where it was just a frustrating night. It was much better Monday, uh, especially in the first half. Second half, there was some aggression there. So we'll see how they how they do on this next uh, you know, this next stretch. But as we got into earlier, um, the last couple of days even, the Hawks have this pretty tough schedule. So they'll be pushed in that way, and we'll see how they uh, sort of end up at the end of this run. They'll have a, a much larger sample size of basketball for us to analyze from the numbers to the eye test and much, much more. Okay, that's it for today's podcast. Uh, please stay tuned. As we talked about earlier, the Hawks play on Wednesday in Brooklyn, and they come home on Thursday to play Utah. So we'll have full coverage of those games after the fact, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave five-star feedback and ratings, reviews. Tell your friend about the podcast. If they enjoy the Hawks, they might they might like the podcast. If they don't like it, that's fine. Give them a chance to like it if they, uh, if they could check us out once. I would be grateful for all of that. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time.